It's time for the BallQuest Mailbag Podcast, answering your questions from the General's Quarters every week, right here on BallQuest. Good Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com Mailbag Podcast, presented by our friends at Smoky Mountain Organics, East Tennessee's most trusted health and wellness store, focusing on natural products and organic remedies to a variety of ailments. Four locations to serve you, three in Sevier County, one in Knoxville, that one in Knoxville, just down from Westtown Mall, across the street from Trader Joe's. And of course, they have locations in Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, and Sevierville. And you can always shop them online at SmokyMountainOrganics.com. With Rob Lewis and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us on this game day Thursday. Tennessee to open NCAA play later today against Longwood as the Volunteers start their NCAA journey. And they will start at Rob Lewis with news on the coaching front, which leads us into our first question. Michael Schwartz has been named officially the head coach at East Carolina. He will be with this basketball team until its season is over. But a lot of people are wanting to know more about the name Greg Polinski, who you mentioned in the chat on Monday night as a possibility for Michael Schwartz's replacement. And Artful Dodger 7 wants to know, what's his role been with the team? And can you give a little more background on who Greg is? I mean, he's been a volunteer analyst, which basically means he's been a, a sounding board. It's not, not a paid position. Um, he works, you know, helps with scouting, watches a lot of film with, with kids. I mean, he has a long, long, almost two-decade track record in the NBA, doing a, doing a lot of stuff, director of player personnel for, for the Pistons. Uh, worked in the Brooklyn organization for a long time. He was a director of college scouting. Um, knows, and he's one of those basketball lifers that knows just a, a ton of people on you know across different levels. But his role has basically been an, an assistant coach without the title and you know without you know working with with players on the floor and without a paycheck is <laughs> the, the biggest distinction. And and him and Rick have known each other for years and years and years he actually took rick's place on wimp sanderson's staff back in like the, the early 80s and and so they have a track record going back that far prior to getting into the nba he was a head coach at georgia southern assistant coach at alabama at, at texas uh but for not not under rick but he, he did work at texas and um you know he's the guy that I, I think rick you know brought him in with the thought that Mike Schwartz was not going to be an assistant coach very longer and already has, you know, kind of an in-house replacement. Now it's not official. Something could happen. Somebody could end up without a job that Rick loves that, you know, he wants to bring in. But right now, if I had to put money on it, I, I would bet, guess that he's promoting from within. Michael Schwartz departure. How significant is that for, for, for Tennessee? What, what is, what is Schwartz meant uh, to, to, to Tennessee for the last I mean, few years? I think he's a huge part. Of, of the success that they've had first and foremost, he's a guy that the head coach really trust and respects. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, if, if Mike says something, if Mike has an idea, it's going to be something that Rick takes seriously. He may not do it, but he's going to, he's going to listen and, 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 you know, mull it over. And I mean, he's a, he's a big time X's and O's guys. I don't, I don't pretend to be an X and O expert just to talk, but in talking with him and talking to former players, um, you know, talking to Coach Barnes, he's he's somebody that has really been instrumental in developing what they do, especially on defense. Huge. I mean, you know, they rotate scouts. Don't get me wrong. Every, you know, every the, the assistant coaches take turns and getting ready for opponents. But as far as implementing a philosophy of what Tennessee's about, Mike's fingerprints are, are all over that. And I and I could not be less surprised that he's getting an opportunity. 
I mean, what what does say Rob about? I mean, Rick just continues to churn out guys that move on to be head coaches. I mean, you had uh, Ogden when he first got here. Then then you obviously had Rob Lanier. You, you look at Dez. You look at at, at uh, Kim English. Uh, Kim English. Now <laughs> I mean, like it is like it is like a constant turnover of guys getting promoted to being head coaches. Like that that's that's got to be you, you know a, a real feather in in rick's cap when he does go to hire anybody really oh i think it's huge i mean you're talking about he's been here seven years he's had five guys leave his staff nobody left to be an assistant coach somewhere else everybody left to be a head a head coach running their own program and um you know that's a that's a testament you know not just to, to rick's reputation in in you know, in college athletics, but also in, in how he lets his guys coach. I mean, he doesn't micromanage them. I know Des Oliver told me after he got the ETSU job that, you know, he was still, you know, it was different. He was learning things every day, but he, he was like, I, I feel so lucky, you know, to have worked for, for Rick. I really feel like I'm prepared to do this with the way, I mean, Rick lets guys, assistant coaches handle interviews at times, you know, like, the, like his weekly, you know, Monday press conference sometimes. I mean, there aren't a lot of coaches out there that are secure enough to do that, you know, that, that would let somebody else speak for them, speak for their program. And and he's got no problems with that. Now, part of it is because, you know, Hub, Hub's being, you know, he's bored and doesn't want to do it. But at, at the same time, you know, at, at the same time, a lot of coaches would rather do something besides their media, but they'd be too insecure Right. To, you know, to, to let an assistant go and, and take that role. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing about it is he doesn't lock his assistants in the office and say, watch film, you know, and, and that's all you do. You go to practice, you know, his guys run practice. Uh, he's obviously in, you know, in charge of practice, but, but they're very hands-on and, and what they get to do. And um, he actually lets them coach in practice when they scrimmage stuff up a lot of times. And um, you know, I, I think the reputation of the fact that he lets those guys and, and ADs around the country know that they're getting legitimate on the job training and preparation uh, for the job, M make his, make his candidates, make his coaches more attractive candidates, you know? And again, if Rick Barnes calls and says the guy's ready, it's going to carry weight. I mean, that's what happened at ETSU uh, with Des Oliver. It certainly happened with Kim English as well. When um, their ADs called and asked, he said, yeah, he's ready. You know? And I think that's certainly been the case with Michael Schwartz as well. And, um, you know, I think Michael Schwartz got a challenging job. I think there's some challenges to East Carolina, but we'll see what he can do in terms of recruiting, particularly overseas. I think he'll have a, a foreign flair to that team early on because of some ties he has there. And uh, we'll, we'll see what he can put together. Obviously, John Gilbert knows him and knows Rick Barnes, and that was part of the tie as well. But, Rob, you and I have talked about this. Mike Schwartz was going to be a head coach somewhere next year. You, you've, you've had that feeling for several months. Not that he was angry you know, looking to leave no. Matt or anybody, but he, he, he believes he's ready to be a head coach and was looking for what opportunity. He's, he's, he's been so. really close, really close a time or two, like really close, um, you know, last two or three candidates and actually has turned down at least one job that I know of just, you know, given the, you know, some circumstances around it. All right. Uh, Vol and C, uh, SC um, had a couple of questions about assistant coaches we've addressed. He also wants to know who do you think will be back next season for this basketball team? Uh, and I don't know about, you know, young guys transferring, but I think he, he's probably asking, where's Kennedy Chandler? Uh, John Fulkerson coming um, back again. <laughs> uh, you know, where, you know, some people try to talk about Viscobi, maybe looking at the four, you know, something overseas. Where do you think some of those guys are? And has that crossed anybody's mind 
over the last two months, given the way this season has gone, Rob? I mean, ki- kids leave all the time, so I'm not going to say nobody's leaving. But right now, this is not one of those situations where, you know, like last year, I had a really good idea. There were going to be several guys. You know, at this time in March, this week in March, a very good idea of several guys who weren't coming back. And now I've got no, I've got nobody like that this year, other than Kennedy, who, you know, and that's that's not about a transfer. That's about whether or not he's a guaranteed first-round draft pick. So if he, you know, if he plays he this week and the next two weeks like he did in Tampa, Rob, it's going to be really hard for him to even look at anything yeah, other than going, I, right? I, I think it's it feels to me like it's trending in that direction. But I will say, you know, he, he, he comes from a great family. They're not going to just jump to jump. I mean, they're going to have to have some respected people. And, again, we go back to Rick Barnes. There, there's no better resource to have when you're making that kind of decision than Rick Barnes with the guys that, that he knows in the, in the league and, and has, has, has relationships with, has had relationships with for decades. If Kennedy goes, Rob, do we expect Rick to go into the transfer portal to get Zakai, especially with it, depending on what happens with Vescovy, as Brent alluded to, do we expect him to go transfer portal wise there or second signing period? I wouldn't, I mean, I just wouldn't rule it out. I'll be, I'll be stunned if they bring in another high school guy, but I mean, you got BJ coming in, BJ Edwards, you'll have Sakai and he, with Santiago. I, again, I've just not, I've not heard that. I'm not saying. Well, I haven't heard it either. I just, people have wondered aloud about it on the, on message boards and, and things like that. I've not heard it at all. He seems very happy here. Yeah. And, and it's not like, I mean, I don't know exactly what the Scobie's family situation is, but I don't, I don't get the impression that, you know, he needs to go buy his mom a house. Right. And, and you know, play in Spain next year. I mean, his parents travel up here a couple of times a year to, which is not cheap you know, coming from, from Uruguay to, to America. So, and, and like AP said, I, I mean, I think he's really happy, you know, maybe he wants to go be a professional, but doesn't feel, I like have it. not heard, I've not heard those rumors. Yeah. I, let me, can, can you peel the curtain back? I don't know if you can, if you can't, I, I don't want you to put words in anybody's mouth. You know, there was so much talk early on about Kennedy and, and just, you know, Rick was so hard on him and, and maybe that relationship didn't look like it was, you know, going swimmingly. I know Kennedy said he wanted to be coach hard, but maybe it was a little harder than he thought it was going to be in, in December. Can you talk a little bit how those two have grown throughout the season in terms of, of the, the, the player-coach relationship? Is it different, a lot different now than it was in December, Rob? Or is this just simply the process of a guy developing under Rick Barnes and it's the same as it was in December as it is now? I mean – Kennedy probably is happier than he was in December, but I, I, one person in that relationship has not changed. <laughs> and one person, had, and, and not that Kennedy, I don't think Kennedy was ever resistant or anything like that. But like you said, I think it was harder than he thought it would be. You know, he'd, he'd been to some practices and seen Rick get hot and, and yell and, you know, make some, make, you know, make some kids feel bad probably. But I think the grind of having it happen to him for, you know, two, two or three months, I don't want to, I don't want to say Rick broke him down. That's, that's too hard. I just think he finally got used to it and really got to it. And I think Josiah helped him with this a bunch. I really do. Um, I think he just finally got used to It's not personal. This is how he is all the time. You know, when, when practice is over, we're watching film or whatever it's, you know, he flips the coach flips a switch. And uh, I think that Rick got to the point where he really respected Kennedy a lot more felt like, and, and not that he didn't, I, th- I think he treats him like a grown up right now more so, whereas he was, he was coaching him like he was a high school kid. And I think he's coached a lot of that out of him. And I think Kennedy gets 
you know, how, I don't want to say serious necessarily, but you know, Kennedy knows how to work. He knows, he knows what is important that when Rick is harping on him for some little thing, that there's a reason for it. You know? And I, and I, and I, I think the Kentucky game was a big part of it. However. I think Kennedy was embarrassed. Yeah, I'm in, sure. In that was. Game. I mean, I and think I, he had two I, moments, you know, no. the Kentucky moment and obviously the, 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 the Texas moment and, and not being on the floor at the end there. All right. A couple of football questions. We'll jump back into some hoops here in just a second as well. Uh, any smoke to Eric Gray returning to Tennessee, AP, and what's the latest on Brew McCoy? Uh, Eric Gray is a member of the Oklahoma football team. Um, now, he, he's already transferred, but any player can transfer, and then they can graduate transfer. Um, if, if Eric Gray were to be a graduate after May, then he could grad transfer anywhere. Um, so, um there's smoke out there a lot about everybody. Okay. Like that's not like a, you know, there's, there's smoke about Eric Gray two months ago. There's smoke about several players uh, that are on Tennessee's team that could potentially go elsewhere and, and they never do. So, you know, I, I think a lot of it depends on, you know, what Eric Gray, you know, does this spring. Um, if he becomes a more of a factor um, than he was a year ago, we know what he was a year ago. Um, and then Tennessee really does like this Ulysses Bentley kid from uh, SMU. You know, I mean, they, they, they like him a lot. Now, can they get him transfers are tricky. I mean, you, a lot of times they kind of know where they're going before right. they go in. And so does he have a place or did he go in just because he wanted to see what was going to come after him, you know? And if that's the case, then, then yeah, Tennessee, I think would love to be in play with uh, Ulysses Bentley. And then with Brew McCoy, you know, Tennessee and Brew McCoy continue to have conversations. USC is trying hard to get him to stay at USC. And, uh, you know, if Brew's going to be here, he'll be here uh, in May. Yeah, and, and the running back, the, the need at the running back position from a transfer standpoint could all, could change a little bit based on what goes on with spring practice. Maybe it doesn't, yep. but, but that's something to factor in there. That's as right. Well. Um, Megaball 98, last year we saw players such as Jeremy Banks, Theo Jackson step up, become impact players on defense. Who are two players you could see making a similar jump in their development? to help improve the defense going into next season. Rob, you jump in here with any of that as well. You saw this team and know, know about this football team as well. So defensive guys, um, I, I think Byron Young is going to continue to take another step for Tennessee. Um, you know, and, and I think I think DJ Terry, two guys along the defensive line that, that I think Terry is going to be asked to do a lot uh, with the departure of Matthew Butler. And I think he's a guy who got better as the season went on at the end of the year. So th those would be two, now both defensive alignment, but that would be two guys for me. They got to be a secondary guy somewhere. Christian, I'm going to, I'm going to stay on the defensive line and I want to take Rob's guy, Bryson Eason to take a step this spring. Um, much like kind of, you know, Rob was alluding to coach Barnes, coaching some things out of Kennedy Chandler. I think coach Gardner has coached some things out of and into uh, Bryson Eason, who, again, played linebacker in high school and is just now learning to play. He, he all of a sudden had his hand on the ground. Now he's got his hand on the ground. He's inside. I mean, like, you know, he's like big difference between playing middle linebacker and defensive tackle uh, in the SEC. Um, and then, you know, I, I go into the secondary. I mean, you know, I'm going to go, you know, Desmond Williams because Tennessee has to have help this spring. They're really thin at corner. He's going to get a ton of opportunities. And if he can play at all, he may play himself right into a starting spot in the fall. What about Elijah Simmons? I'm not saying he is. I'm, I'm asking you guys. Could be, yeah. Yeah, he's could take be. the step. 
I, I think he's a guy that we talk about. They every just summer. need somebody to step up on the defensive line, whether it's Terry or Easton or right. Elijah Simmons. I mean, I'll, one of the I'll, I'll say this about Simmons. Three. Simmons has had a really good winter, and and his focus has been. Um, he's not been a high school guy. He's been much more of a professional type guy this winter. Now, can he consistently do that between now and August? We'll see. If he can, then then he's going to be a guy who makes a huge addition to this defensive line because we all know he has talent. It's just a matter of whether or not he can manage his weight. He, he can stay focused the way he needs to. Uh, but I've been told by multiple people that that he has been much better uh, this offseason than he has any other offseason since he's been here. So maybe maybe his time has arrived. We'll just we'll have to we'll have to wait and see there. I, I think Christian Charles too, Rob, is the other guy in the secondary, but because of what he did last year. Uh, he's smart. He's heady. Good football player. Uh, he's going to have to factor in and help the secondary that needs to be. You know, it's going to need to be revamped and, and needs to get faster, as we've talked about for a year now. And with with the corner, you know, seeming like some holes or question marks there, is Turnage stay at nickel? Does he get a look? Oh, well, you know, he's going to miss spring practice because of that surgery. He's going to have to work outside at at, um, at corner, in my opinion. I mean, he can play nickel and might be your nickel guy, but you got to find your two corners as well. And and I don't know exactly who those guys are going to be. So I think Turnage is a guy who's going to be able to play both are going to have to play both. I think they're going to look at slaughter some at, at corner this spring to see how that works. And we'll see what kind of magic Willie Martinez can, can pull off, particularly this spring with a bunch of guys out, going to miss a lot of valuable reps at the corner position. Back to hoops we go. Can the Vols handle Michigan's size with the three with three of the five starters being above 6'8", and will they be able to play that small ball lineup if they get to Tennessee and Michigan on Saturday, Rob? I think there's been a lot of people able to handle Michigan size. So, yeah. I mean, 14 I'm, teams, in fact. <laughs> I'm, you know, they're good. I get what the guy's saying, and I'm not trying to belittle it, but I've been, I don't worry about Tennessee playing against big teams defensively. Um, I worry about Tennessee getting absolutely, absolutely no inside scoring against some teams. And, and that can come from, you know, penetration from, you know, Josiah in the mid-range, come from a lot of different spots. But matching up and, and guarding, you know, big teams, that that, that doesn't concern me about this team. I mean, you're not going to get any bigger than Arizona. I mean, I know that was one game, but that's that's elite size. And Tennessee matched up with him. Yeah, that was at home. And, and again, small sample size. But, no, I don't I don't worry about Tennessee guarding anybody. My, about my, my dream scenario, Rob, Tennessee's got about a 10 or 12-point lead with about 30 seconds to go. And Rick calls a timeout to put all the subs in. <laughs> <laughs> what a troll move man of course this is coming from the guy that loves to tweet out uh pictures of uh you know road signs so you know in fact, I, I can't I, I i've only heard half of what you said in this podcast because the pacific ocean roaring in the background <laughs> that's that is long a nice, beach rob is, that's long beach it is a nice view you got from pebble beach there austin hopefully you'll come back and join us at, at some point in time uh in the southeast uh, but we'll see. Hey, uh, Charlie wants Charlie Work wants to know um, about Joe Lenardi uh, talking about conference tournaments, talking about the fact that Kentucky was playing for a one seed on Saturday. Uh, they lose the game, but Tennessee doesn't help themselves. His question is real is, is simple. Uh, after his paragraph leading into it, is why can't they have a fair, transparent process that takes the entire season, including the conference tournaments, into account? Is it really that hard to do? Asking the wrong person here, I man. I, I thought it was p- pathetic. And again, I I think me and you have both said the same thing. I, I don't think there's a big difference between the two or the three seed. 
But I, it's just the principle of the thing. And Lenardi talked that both sides of his mouth all weekend long, not, not only the Kentucky thing, but then on, on Sunday he went on national television and, and said in regards to Tennessee and Kentucky and Auburn being two seeds, Tennessee being a three, head-to-head doesn't matter. Then I saw him talking out the other side of his mouth when somebody was talking about Tennessee being a three seed and Villanova being a two. He's like, well, you know, Villanova being about 18 in November. Well, you know, why you, that, that's head to head. Why even, you know, why are you bringing that up? So I got, I've got nothing for you. I, a two or three seed, it doesn't matter. But the way they clearly were lying this week because they did not take Tennessee's three days in Tampa into account. I mean, how does Tennessee doesn't help itself? Auburn and Kentucky don't hurt themselves. And it's obvious. What, what do we make of Buzz Williams and his uh, eight-minute, uh, you know, thing? And then he handed out his thesis statement there to all the media. I, I got up and walked out. True <laughs> story. <laughs> I, I, I was amazed. I mean, and, I, and, I, I, and I like Buzz Williams. I, I'm, 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 I'm a fan. I thought he was just a little over the top there. No, I loved it. I mean, I loved it from the standpoint of I, I didn't think – in his in his in his deal following their NIT win, I, I didn't think that I didn't think he took any personal jabs. I, I thought I mean it was long. I get that, but um, you know he was just asking the questions everybody else asked, and um, you know he had his research to back it up. I you know I I kind of thought it was um, I I, I kind of I was kind of impressed with it. Probably a little long, but but overall, I mean it wasn't. It wasn't just some kind of crazy rant or Twitter deal. I mean, it was there was a lot of thought put into it, and um, <laughs> you know, gave out all his research. And maybe maybe I appreciated it because I agree with him. I, I think his basketball team should have been in the tournament, and I think he had the facts uh, to, to back that up. But um, I actually thought he handled it pretty well, other than it was a little bit long uh, overall. But uh, I, I get I get you know I, I think that team should have been in if you factor in conference tournament play, but they didn't, and, and they didn't make it right. I had no problem with Texas A&M not making it. Uh, they played well. They got hot. But they took they took February off. I mean, they, they lost eight in a row. They lost to Missouri. They lost to South Carolina. Uh, lost at Vanderbilt. And, so, I mean, I, 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 I like Buzz. If they would have gotten in, I, I had no problem. None whatsoever. But you, but you, don't, think it, you don't think it's I a, think gro- they were a gross easy. over slide? I think they were easy to leave out because they okay. they lost eight in a row and it would went exactly a murderer's row there. They but, lost to Ponzo. They lost to two coaches that got fired. And I think this discussion, Austin, is 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 kind of what you deal with when you talk about the committee. And I think this is what this is what you have that's the unknown is you don't know what what people are really weighing in or not weighing in strength is well, I mean, he, he, his point was is i know our our detriment was the losing streak but shouldn't our winning streak counter that yeah and, what and again they did, you but know. again you get a group of you get a group of guys in the room m- making that decision and that's fine my problem with everything in the committee is this one you don't know what they're factoring in and two they have come out and made it clear that the last weekend before the ncaa tournament doesn't matter and, and to me, that's the biggest detriment because other than playing your way in by getting an automatic bid, it doesn't feel – it feels like it's very hard to get an at-large bid by, by, by playing well in the conference tournament because they basically said the conference tournament doesn't count. That's unless my you're in, that, that, unless you're in the Big Ten and you're Indiana. I mean, you know, and, and that's my thing is you're sitting here, does quad one factor, you know, what are the analytics that factor? And then from the human standpoint – the human element standpoint, what are you really looking at? 
And um, I don't think any of us know the answer to that question. And I think that's where Buzz Williams is. I think that's where Tennessee is. I think that's where a lot of people around the country are and trying to figure out what's important and what's not when it comes to scheduling and all those things as well. Um, Nashville 615, is Josiah playing himself into a draftable player at some point? Uh, we've already talked about Kennedy Chandler and, and the possibility of him returning or not returning. Uh, this basketball team is shaping up to be really good next year, too. Your thoughts? Quickly. I've always thought that Josiah had a chance to play the league. Now, whether or not that's as, as a draft, whether or not he gets drafted or works his way in, I don't know. But my, my thing is, I think he could do the same thing for an NBA team that he does now. He probably wouldn't score as much, but I think he could, you know, maybe be an end of the rotation guy. Maybe he doesn't even play the rotation. He's such a good character guy that he's he's one of those dudes that can hang around just because he's a good good guy to have on the team. But I think he, I think he could guard three or four positions in the NBA. I think he could score six or eight points a game, and he'd grab a few rebounds and and just be a glue guy. Which I, I think he he would be a role player at, at at the NBA level, and I think he'll have a chance. All right, let's finish this podcast mailbag out with some uh, football recruiting questions, a couple of football questions here. Uh, Anthron wants to know, uh, AP, how is your business trip disguised as a family vacation in California going? Uh, depending on this quarterback class, how realistic are Carnell Tate and Kyler Casper since they will both be here in early April? Um, my, it was a family trip. I mean, like no one wants to believe that. It was a family trip. Um, go look at my Facebook. I've got a four-minute video of my kids at Disneyland, um, not to mention other pictures from San Diego and L.A. and everywhere else. Um, you know, uh, you know. I think that how the quarterback decisions go will impact a guy like Carnell Tate. Carnell Tate talks to Dante Moore a lot. He talks to, to Nico a lot. You know, that that to me is one that – I don't know how much it really impacts Kyler Casper. Um you know, but Casper's going to come in the same weekend as Carnell Tate and Nico uh, at the, you know, for that, you know, the spring scrimmage there. And so, you know, obviously Tennessee's got a chance to have a big weekend that weekend. And, uh, you know, depending on, you know, Nico's decision, you know, then, then you, you could have a guy that's trying to recruit those two, you know, um, to join him potentially here. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, if you could get one of the two, I think you'd be running to the bank happy with, with that and uh, start building around it. Cause you've got, you know, guys like Caleb Herring, you know, that are highly ranked that are going to be a part of this class as well. All right. With Nico returning to campus in April, how much does that help get him in the boat? If he ends up in his class, what ranking could we be looking at? Um, two questions there. Oh, well, I mean, I think Nico's going to decide before that visit in April. Um, and then, you know, uh, I think a lot of that depends on, you know, how much sway he has, you know, I mean, it, it, it's pretty clear that, you know, he talks to several, you know, prospects out there, you know, if he's able to, you know, have some pull, then, I mean, you're looking at Tennessee, uh, to me, it's a locked in top 10 class because you'll have some natu natural built in ones. Like I just talked about with Caleb Herring, maybe potentially Bryson Sanders and so on and so forth that have a, a good ranking to them. And then, you know, you've already, you know, started the class really solid with Ethan Davis and Jack Luttrell. So, um, you know, I think that you're locked in top 10. You can only build from there. Um, another one on Nico. I have not seen all of his tape, but a lot of his highlights are of him running. So is Nico considered more of a running quarterback or an athlete playing quarterback? 
or does he also have the arm talent to be a high-level pocket protect, pocket passer as well? Well, I think Nico is a pocket passer who can run. Um, and it's not and it's not. You're talking about running. that highlight. No, I mean, if you're talking about that one, it's because he leads the 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 one highlight video that he put on his Instagram or whatever with three runs. But then you start looking at some of the throws he makes. I mean, kid's got uh, you know quite an arm on him, and he's only going to get better. Like you know, the guy that the guy that leads the you know the 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 team down the team down in Alabama, you know, thinks he is more upside than any quarterback in this class. So I think that says a lot about you know the the thought process of many about Nico. And then uh, last two questions here. Uh, what's everyone's bracket saying for the Vols? How far do you have them going? Um, I would, ha I have them winning it all because I told myself I would pick them if they win a conference tournament. Rob, where do you think this team, what, where, where do you, where do you pigeonhole them a little bit right now? Not an I absolute. Hope I hope people don't, don't get upset with me. I have them going out in the elite eight. I don't think they beat Arizona twice. Okay. I do think they get revenge over Villanova. All right. Uh, AP, where you got them at? Uh, to be honest with you, I've not even examined it at all. I mean, I've been in theme parks for the last several days. So, um, I mean, I know where Tennessee's at. I know who they kind of have in front of them. But I have not examined, like, who those teams play. Like, you know, what does Villanova's path look like to get to yeah. Tennessee? What does Arizona's path look like to get to potentially match up with Tennessee? I know what Tennessee has to do the first few rounds. But I honestly haven't examined it enough to give you a real answer. Yeah, my thing is, I think they're going to get to San Antonio, and I think when you get there, you got really good teams, and it could be an absolute, absolute crapshoot. I, I think it would be hard to beat Arizona twice if Arizona's there. Um, just because Fulkerson played so well in that Arizona game, could you get a repeat performance from him there? I don't know. Could you match up inside the way that you need to, Rob? I think that's a question mark. Yeah, and one of Arizona's big guys, Tubelis, who's who's a, a really good player, was spent all day in Knoxville in foul trouble. And yeah. Fulky played out of his mind, yeah. which we haven't seen since. I mean, you think about it. Conzo's run that year ended in Indianapolis. You've got last year, which was such a, a, a debacle that was in Indianapolis. Then you had Bruce's year that ended in San Antonio. One of these same locations where there's bad memories and bad juju. But you never know, Hubs. You just never know. No, and it starts, uh, it starts tomorrow afternoon against Longwood. We'll see how Tennessee goes. Last question. We're out the door here. Any more reports on anyone who physically looks ready to go this spring from the freshman, not named Justin Williams? Give me, give me a freshman physically you, that you that you hear that you like. Well, I can you hear good things about Elijah Herring, and then I, I think Addison Nichols, from a, from a size standpoint, um, will will be somebody that can. I'm not saying be a starter, but I think can you know can get some solid work in this spring. I think those young receivers are all going to create a bunch of buzz this spring, but we're not going to know if it's real buzz or not real buzz because of all the injuries Tennessee's dealing with at the cornerback position. But I think you're going to hear a lot of talk about these young receivers because I think there's going to be opportunities galore going against the secondary that's going to be depleted with a lot of injuries in the cornerback position. But Chaz Nimrod's a guy with size that, that people have talked a little bit about heading into spring practice, so we'll see where he is at at the end of spring practice. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the VolQuest.com Mailbag Podcast presented by our friends at Smoky Mountain Organics. For Rob Lewis, who will have all of your hoops coverage coming up for you later today, or you've got some up now, uh, but more hoops coverage coming up later today. And Austin Price, whose son – what are you, sun kiss? Your tan looks pretty good, AP. I'll uh, give you this, is, Hubs, this is how we dig. For, 
For Rob Lewis, we'll have everything with Longwood covered. Austin Price, we'll have everything with Long Beach covered. This has been the VolQuest.com podcast sponsored by Smoky Mountain Organics. You've been listening to the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast every week right here on VolQuest. Thank you.